You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Varallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. I am joined tonight, of course, by my co-host, Alex Varallo. Alex, how you doing tonight? Doing well, Glenn. Good evening, Jet Nation. So, as those of you who uh, follow this team as, as religiously as we do, as you all know, uh, some big news on the, the injury front. It's in the last couple of days, and of course, it's uh, it's 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 a bigger deal because it's at such a position of need. And that is of course at corner where the Jets number one corner, Tremaine Johnson is going to be out indefinitely with a hamstring issue. And I was actually going to bring up Johnson uh, this week. Injury aside, Alex, because we keep his name keeps popping up as a guy who's, who's intercepting a lot of passes, breaking a lot of passes up. He's kind of, he's doing things that, that give you reason as a fan, give you reason to believe that, he is going to have a bounce back season now. Whether or not he is, we'll see. Um, but you you keep seeing his name for for making plays that he just wasn't making last season, um, and that that kind of get, made you feel a little bit better about the corner situation because let's face it, after him and and Tremaine Johnson is a question mark, but behind him it's it's even bigger question marks. But now, of course, he injures the hamstring. He's out indefinitely. And all the talk has turned to, you know, not not if, but when will the Jets make a move for a corner? So, so your thoughts, Alex? Of course, I'm sure you heard Adam Gase's comments today regarding the injury. But what are your thoughts on the Tremaine Johnson injury? Are the Jets do they have to make a move sooner rather than later to get themselves to get themselves a corner, or do they just wait this thing out? Yeah, this is. Uh... Kind of a you know a living nightmare per se. Uh, we've we've talked about uh, just last week. You know what what's going to stop this team from taking that big step this year, and it's the the health. Uh, you you have to stay healthy, and we've had a couple rough days. Uh, Tremaine Johnson's dealing with uh, you know a hamstring injury, and, and Kyron Brown had to step up, and then he got hurt. So, you know, guys are depleting fast, and, and now Joe Douglas looks like he's going to be uh, having himself probably a sleepless night, reaching out to God knows who and, and, and trying to see who's available and, and who can talk and, and, and what exactly are the Jets going to look to possibly use as a bargaining chip. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of things uh, kind of raising eyebrows here. So, you know, and I, I thought Jermaine Johnson is having a really good camp. Uh, he he just looks like he's in a much more comfortable system. Uh, you know, having worked with Denard Wilson in the past and Greg Williams' system, you know, kind of thought that the whole idea with him before he came to the team is he was more of a zone-style corner that can kind of do everything. And then he comes into Todd Bowles' defense, which is a lot of man press, and that wasn't really, you know, his specialty. But he was capable physically of doing it. But he, he belongs in the zone-style defense and and all the turnovers that I've seen him do he's kind of been 
been playing in a cover three or, you know, a cover two flat kind of scheme and kind of ball hawking and reading the quarterback. And, and it's much easier for guys that are uh, more comfortable in a, a zone style scheme where when you're a man, you're just kind of trying to stay hip to hip in, in the receiver's pocket. And that's a lot harder to do when you're sitting back covering an area and just kind of reading and reacting to what the quarterback does. So really, really unfortunate. Um, this sounds like it could be something that could be a few weeks. Uh, Gase is hoping that it's not, but yeah, this is kind of what we were alluding to. Uh, and and now we're looking at the guys behind him and wondering who's it going to be that's going to step up. You know, you and I both talked at length about Derek Jones and unfortunately he got cut over the weekend uh, before all these incidents had occurred, and he's already been picked up by the Packers, so there's there's no take-backs on that one. So, yeah, this is a very interesting situation, and fortunately it's still early in the process. Uh, you know, we're a few weeks away from week one, so we do have time to try to figure this thing out. But, you know, 24 hours ago it was, all right, let's just find, you know, one able body to put in the mix here. Now we might be possibly looking at two guys, if not more. So a lot of things have changed over the last 24. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned Derek Jones. Of course, I was pretty uh, pretty upset by that just because I think that, you know, w- with what he brings physically, I was hoping he was a guy they would work with for the long term and he would show enough to stick. Uh, I think the thing that, that was really surprising to me, a uh, little bit off topic, but um, but letting him go – to, to go out and re-sign Nick Truesdale, who, for those of you who are unfamiliar, he spent a little, he spent a couple of days with the Jets last week. He's bounced around a couple NFL camps. Now, on paper, just his physical traits make him an intriguing guy. He's he's a tight end, which you could argue isn't really a dire position of need for the Jets. Um, but he's a tight end. He's six six, two fifty two, and he showed up at a NFL Veterans Combine a couple seasons ago. And kind of put himself on the map with pro teams by running a four four seven. Uh, you generally don't see guys who are six six two fifty two running in the four fours. So that obviously jumps off the page. Off the page. But what what really gets me is he has no NFL experience. He's twenty nine years old. So to cut Derek Jones at a position that it, you know that is a position of need uh, to go out and get Nick Trustel, who again, I mean, geez, six six four four seven. That that guy is someone maybe you find a role for him somewhere, but uh, I mean this is a guy who's basically sitting at home, you know, not a lot of interest in him. Whereas with Derek Jones, we saw him get snapped up right away. So I think uh, I think Derek Jones does have some value. Jets obviously disagreed. That's fine, but it it kind of makes you know makes things worse in terms of of filling you know filling out this depth chart at corner. And you look around the league. And I think I think if you're the Jets, I mean, we'll see how this plays out. But I think if you're going to come knocking and, and calling teams up to acquire a corner, um, teams aren't looking to give up, you know, good young corners who are affordable. I mentioned Razul Douglas with the Eagles. He'd probably be my top choice. Uh, and maybe, you know, the Eagles have enough depth there that once they're healthy, they might be willing to make that move closer to the season. But otherwise, you're going to be looking at guys like, like, do you call the the Redskins and say, hey, you know, what do you what do you want for 32 year old Josh Norman, who's making 15 million a year, or, you know, do you call, 
the Broncos about 30-year-old Chris Harris, who's making $12 million a year. Which, and by the way, and I, I mentioned this last week, now that Ryan Khalil's money is, is listed on the, on, uh, overthecap.com, the Jets are about 11 – no, sorry. Jets are $14 million under the cap, which isn't a whole lot. Teams like to go into the season with a minimum $5 million to play with in case of any in-season moves. But generally, you know, you, you like to have a little more than that. So in all reality, the Jets have about, what I say, 14? They have about seven, $8 million to spend without having to make a corresponding move or a trade, you know, like we mentioned the possibility of Kelvin Beecham or Brian Winters. That would free up $10 million, $6 million respectively. But a lot of, you know, you're going to look at, I think you're going to be looking at pay, overpaying salary-wise for a, a vet in his 30s or trying to pry away a young guy, which which means you're probably going to give up a premium draft pick. You're probably looking at a, a day-two pick to get a corner. So what would your approach be here? Would would you be happy if the Jets come away with a Chris Harris? You know, maybe Darius Slay from Detroit would be a possibility. Uh, you know, there are some names out there. And, and, and I guess you have to ask, you know, w- would you be happy if they give the Jacksonville Jaguars a call and uh, and see what they're looking to get or if they're willing to make a deal for their number one corner? What do you think, Alex? Yeah, it's, it's kind of tough um, just looking at the, over the, the cap right now, and we've got about four, $14.6 So, you know, going after a, a big-time corner uh, would warrant a lot of money and not leave us a lot left unless, you know, obviously we'd have to try to finagle or maybe move other players or – try to figure it out somehow to, to leave us with about 5 million on the cap. Cause I think teams kind of like having somewhere around 5 million throughout the year in case if you know, something crazy happens and you have to sign somebody off the street, like a quarterback or, you know, another big position. So it would, it's kind of hard to figure out who would be the right fit and how the money would work out. And it really kind of ticks me off because we've been talking about, a particular player that we were waiting on his health, Mo Claiborne, who got picked up for $1.5 million. I think Captain Mutterland got yeah. like $1.9 the other day. And I understand that these guys aren't in their prime and they're a little bit long in the tooth as far as the age is concerned. But when you're in a situation where you don't have a lot of guys that are experienced, like we do right now, a bunch of unprovens, it, it can get ugly fast on Sundays. I mean, this is almost uh, – reminiscent of that 2014 season where we just were throwing names and throwing bodies out at corner that no one really knew. And, and it showed it was pretty bad. So I'm kind of hoping that it doesn't turn into one of those scenarios, but I do like the idea of maybe Joe Douglas going back to where he used to work in Philadelphia and maybe seeing if he could work something out. Uh, I, I know you had talked about this um, weeks ago and, and, and brought up the conversation again, just, just recently and somebody was saying that they have around 10, 11 corners on, on their depth chart. So it would be intriguing if something were to happen there. I don't think we would get lucky with a conditional pick and, and find a starter because, you know, starting caliber corners are, are hard to find, um, and teams are not just willing to just part with them unless if they know that they have depth uh, that they're comfortable with behind them. So 
Now, Joe Douglas might have to get super creative here. Um, we might end up, you know, having to do a, a player and a pick in order to get something uh, figured out. Uh, otherwise, uh, maybe we'll have to go the route that Jamal Adams said and, and said, if, if coach needs me, I'll play corner, <laughs> which was kind of crazy. But uh, Yeah, I, I did I see that. Yeah, today, yeah, I hope Eric it doesn't come to that. Um, you know, addition by, you know, subtraction by addition or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, maybe we find another safety to throw in the mix here. And then we can use Jamal Adams a little bit like a nickel corner. And maybe we'll trust Brian Poole to, to give him a shot um, on the outside. I know he seems to be more better fit in a nickel uh, role. But when push comes to shove, we had to put Buster Screen on the outside uh, for, for a season. And, and he was a natural nickel corner. So, a lot of things, a lot of variables here. Um, I'm sure Greg Williams has an idea of how he wants to move forward, or maybe there's particular guys that he feels that he could work with within his system, and that could help Joe Douglas. Uh, but who those players are, that's that that's the uh, the needle in the haystack right there. Yeah, and you just have to you have to wonder, do they see themselves as being a team that's good enough? Where you know you hear all the time. They, you know, do you make a splash move for a big name, big salary guy? And people generally feel like, well, you only do that if you're on the cusp. If you're, you know, if you feel like you're a, a Super Bowl contender, you go out and you get a Jalen Ramsey. Um, but, and Ramsey's actually a bad example because he's a guy you might be able to keep around long term. But if you're going to go out and get one of these older guys like a Chris Harris, who's probably only going to give you two, three years, is it worth parting with a, a second round pick? And that type of thing. And it's, you know, for for the GM and, you know, you hit it on the head. I hate, I hate, you know, beating a dead horse, but I know we said it quite a bit and it's go get Mo Claiborne. Like we, he, listen, yeah. nobody say Mo Claiborne is great, but he brings some stability, a proven veteran who can do, you know, he, you know, he can have some good days for you. And I mean, how much better would this group look right now with him? And again, it's not that he'd be, you know, he wouldn't be making them an elite defense, but you can say, all right, well, we, you know, we can live with him as your as a one for a little while, and they'll be a solid number two. Um, but that obviously that ship has sailed. I think he got was one point six, um, which makes it that much more ridiculous. I, you know, once I saw that, I just kind of said, you know, why not? Why not bring the guy in for that price? I mean, that really, if, if even if he suspended the first four games, um, in today's NFL, if you can get Mo Claiborne to play anywhere near the level he has the last two seasons. For one point six million, that is a bargain. I mean that that is a an absolute steal for them. So that's it makes it all more say, frustrating that it wasn't prioritized in the draft either. You know, they had opportunities to to try to get back into the second round, and McCagney couldn't find a way to pull the trigger, and and he waited until the sixth round to to try another project guy that hasn't seen the field, and 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 now it's like by the graces of God can bless in Austin, uh, get healthy and, and, and make an impact sooner than later. And, and we'll never, really yeah, know. That's, um, I, I'd like, I'd love to know, uh, we haven't really heard anything on his, t- his time frame Cause of course, before training camp, he sent out that tweet that he was medically cleared, but it was like, well, he's, you know, you, you kind of figured, well, he's not going to be cleared for contact. You know, he hasn't, it's been so long for him, multiple injuries, multiple major injuries. And uh, yeah, we you know we heard during the or we heard after the draft that the Jets were trying to move back up to get a, a a big name corner. But the thing is, we don't know 
you know, I, I'd, I'd always love to know what the, uh, what the compensation was, you know, if, if you're calling Indy or whoever to move back into round one and they're saying they want, you know, three ones and a couple of twos. Well, you know, you just don't know the price tag, but at the end of the day, they didn't get it done. And it's, uh, it's, it's going to, it's going to be an issue this year unless, I mean, the, the chances of one of these young guys on the roster, I mean, let's, let's look at it realistically, you know, from, from top to bottom, Let, let's go through. Cause you know what, we're talking about the position. Let's go from top to bottom. This, this roster right now at corner. Um, of course we mentioned Tremaine Johnson, but you've got 25 year old, or I'm sorry, 22 year old rookie. Out of South Carolina State, Alex Brown. You've got Kyron Brown out of Akron, who I actually, I've said a couple times, I think he'd probably be a better move to safety. And we say all the time that, you know, 40 times aren't the be-all, end-all. But I just, I felt like when I saw his 40 after they signed him, it, I, I don't remember, I want to say it was like in the high four fives, like, or low four sixes, like much slower than I would expect for a corner. Um, but you know, maybe the guy had a bad day, you know, but when I watched him on film, I thought he had good hands. I thought he could, good job of getting, his, getting his hands on the ball and, and on defense. But I just, I wondered if he had the, uh, the long speed to keep up with NFL receivers. Then Tavon Campbell at a, at a, uh, he's the guy they signed out of Canada. D Delaney. I mean, these are, these are the corners, Arthur Mullen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Montrell Meander, who, you know, he made, he made a player too in that opener. Uh, Mark Myers out of Southeastern. Brian Poole, we talked about. Daryl Roberts. And uh, and then Parry Nickerson, who I like Parry, but he, he was terrible the other day. He was really, I mean, he had a rough night against the Giants. I mean, that, that's, your, that's your cornerback depth chart right now. And it's, it's scary. It really is. And I, that's why I'm, I say that you just you can't you can't go into this you can't go into the season without making some more moves. But um, but Joe Douglas has his you know he's he's got his priorities or he, you know he he knows what his top priority is. And uh, we'll see in the coming weeks what ha- and listen sometimes it's a matter of just you might have a deal in place you know sometimes you want to wait till the end of the preseason. You know maybe maybe. Uh, you have a couple guys you're keeping an eye on and you say, look, it could even be a team you're playing in the preseason and say, Hey, you know what? We're facing you guys week three or week two, whatever the preseason, uh, give them some extra reps so we can get an extended look at them. If you want to get that, that fourth rounder or that third rounder, um, and teams might let a guy go a little longer, but, um, but, but, you know, I mentioned Perry Nickerson, Nickerson being really, really bad against the giants. But uh, but let's let's talk about that now, Alex. That Jets Giants, of course, Jets lost scoreboard. Not you know not something you really worry about. It's about stay healthy, keep guys healthy, and uh, and let some guys develop and show what they can do. So, who are some standouts to you? Give me give me three, four, five, however many you want. Like who were a handful of players who stood out for you, be it good or bad, and and of course why those players stood out. Uh. Obviously, I think um, from the first string, uh, without taking out that first throw from Sam Darnold, he looks pretty efficient, uh, you know, making his read, stepping up in the pocket, delivering strikes. Uh, definitely saw a little glimpse of what they were talking about, how this defense, this offense attacks the defense. Uh, 
and and that definitely seemed to be the case. Could would like to cut them to dial it down a little bit. Not show you know everything that we're trying to do, but um, I loved that first offensive series. So so Darnold looked good. Crowder looked really really sharp. Uh, you know I think Ty Montgomery is, is going to be a problem for this team. He had a little scary incident today. Looks like he took one. Um, let's just say in, in a special area and, and nothing to be too alarmed about. Um, he, he was one of the people that I thought as we kept seeing these, these injury updates coming from camp today. So it looks like Ty is going to be all right. I thought he looked really good. Uh, but, but uh, after that uh, from the second team, you know, Frankie Louvu seems to be making a case uh, that he deserves some outside linebacker play on this team. Uh you know, just this past weekend, so him getting mixed in in a three-four base and in the nickel defense. So he, the, Greg Williams, is, is testing out the waters with certain players. I think Louisville had a pressure. He had a sack, or I'm sorry, a uh, fumble. Um, then Cashman was wrapping somebody up, and he delivered a big hit and got the ball out. Uh, I think Greg Dorch looked really good, and you know we've been talking a lot about him with his return ability and doing some other things. So, you know, this kid, this UDFA kid is heading and trending in the right direction. Um, so that's nice. Um, anyway, uh, I know Quinn and Williams had, had short uh, amount of time, but I watched this breakdown that uh, Brian Baldinger did and kind of things that people probably wouldn't pick up on, like him taking on a double team and freeing up an open lane for someone else and, you know, the the run play was going toward the A-gap and the, the running back had to adjust and try to find another lane and, and we swallowed him up. So, you know, these are good things that, that were, you know, little tidbits that were being shown from some of the younger guys that, you know, will be hopefully, you know, uh, more con- consistent as far as, you know, seeing these guys making plays. So, you know, a lot of the younger guys uh, did little good things here and there. All was not bad, really not going to – you know, like you said, it's preseason, so scoreboard means nothing. Just want to see these guys taking a step, competing, and 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 doing things that you know are are right. You know, less penalties and and, and making more heads up, smart football plays, and and you saw some of that. Yeah, I think uh, as is the case in any preseason game, you know, win or lose, you're gonna have a couple guys stand out. And uh, and some guys are gonna show that they they need a lot more work. Derek Jones was gonna be a guy for me. I was going to point out because he got beat pretty badly on a deep ball. Um, he, of course, as we mentioned, now with the Packers. But uh, I'm going to run through a list of guys who stood out to me uh, in both initially. Well, some of them stood out on film, and, and that's the thing. I try, I try not to even get into the starters because let's face it, they're playing ten reps. You know, you kind of you know what most of these guys are going to be able to do. You have an idea anyway. And so you, you can't glean a whole lot from, from 10 snaps. But I will say that after uh, the first three snaps of the game, uh, I was I could not have been happier with uh, with Colicchio Semele. Uh, we saw him get some some good push in the run game. We saw him take a Giants defender off his feet when he, he and D- Jonathan Harrison were double-teaming interior linemen. Once Osemele saw that Harrison had him, he turned around to look for somebody else to block. And Calvin Beecham was engaged with uh, with a, a pass rusher, and Osemele just just laid into him, hit him in the ribs, took him off his feet, laid him out. That's something we were not seeing from James Carpenter the last couple of years. And as I said, getting the the push in the run game, 
He kind of it, it's only a handful of plays, but you saw him do some things where you just it like I said it just, there was one I think it was the first thing I tweeted out after the game was uh, that I was excited to rewatch and watch Osemele because he he jumped out to me in just a couple plays, so I thought that was huge. Because let's face it, you know O line's been an issue for a while, and I think uh, the other thing that that I came away from this game excited about was the play of Chuma Adoga, uh, rookie out of USC, who they, he played some left tackle, some right tackle, and he did a really nice job. As a matter of fact, uh, he was graded out as the top pass blocker on the, on the Jets by PFF at 82.7. So he's a guy I was really looking forward to seeing, and he did not disappoint. I want to say he played 30, yeah, 30 some snaps. And according to PFF, didn't allow a single pressure. So a nice NFL debut for Chuma Adoga. And he's a guy, don't forget, you know, we haven't mentioned this. I think we may have mentioned it right after the draft, but I think he had a different O-line coach or coordinator at USC every single year. So he played well enough to get on NFL radars and get himself drafted despite all that turnover. And, you know, hopefully he settles down and, and, is in a place with the Jets now where he'll have the same staff for a few years and kind of bring him along. But I thought Adoga was really impressive. The next, another guy that jumped out to me was Brandon Copeland. And, you know, we're all excited about Ja'Kai Polite. Everyone likes the shiny new toys. I get that. Polite's got, you know, the explosiveness, or at least, you know, showed it on film in college to be a difference maker on defense. But Copeland, man, he showed some smarts, made some nice – Made some nice plays in, in pass coverage. He made some good plays against the run. So uh, I really like the fact that Brandon Copeland looks like he's stepping up. Trenton Cannon scares me a little bit. Uh, didn't look as, as confident, as assertive carrying the balls. I'd hoped he would. But on special teams, he looked like an absolute monster. So he's a guy that you kind of look at and say, you know, you, you hope he can do enough at, at you know, all phases of the game to find a way to stick because at the very least he's going to make your specials much better. And if you can bring him along as a back, uh, you know, it, that much more reason you, you mentioned Frankie Luvu. He was fantastic. The corners overall, I, I can't really pick one guy who was that bad because it seemed like everybody was, was really, really pretty bad, but I don't think there was anybody on the roster who was worse than, uh, than Davis Webb because uh, the, that was just, he he didn't look like an NFL player. It was it was pretty bad. Even even when he even when he got a, a clean pocket and a clean throw, the way the ball came out of his hand just didn't look right. It didn't look right at all. And did he forget I think he's he, not on the Giants anymore? Like why are you throwing th- to the I'm, Giants so much? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. He's a guy who might uh, who might not make a roster because he's you know if, if they decide not to carry three quarterbacks, I mean if they do carry three, if he doesn't get better, Luke Falk's going to be the guy. Falk impressed me. Um, by the way, yeah, he wasn't great. He's doing much better too. Yeah, Falk wasn't great, but he did a nice job of feeling pressure and and getting away. You know, using his legs a little bit, and uh, you know, he didn't do a whole lot with his arm. But I just I liked his I liked his pocket presence, his awareness, the way he was able to get away from pressure and try to make things happen. So he that that was a, one of the bigger surprises to me. Uh, just a couple other names: uh, Neville Hewitt. I thought, he, I mean, he's a guy. He's He's probably the odd man out if Blake Cashman sticks, but Hewitt, I thought I thought he played better than Cashman did, and he is the vet, so I would have expected him to. Uh, will he will he push Blake Cashman and get the roster spot? It's unlikely, 
but I just want to give some credit where it's due because I thought he had himself a nice game. And maybe the uh, the most underrated guy who uh, or not a lot of people talked about, but I came away kind of feeling like he was one of the better players on the field in Fularunza Fadakasi, the second-year D lineman who really did a nice job in the middle of that defense. Showed, I mean, I said last year, I said a million times, and I, I probably a little bit of a broken record, if I'm being honest, every time I mention him, you know, when, if I'm doing a, an article for Jet Nation, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll always throw in there, you know, strong as an ox, showed great strength in, in, training, in training camp last year, because he did. He just seemed like he was a really strong dude when you watch him, you know, hold his own against some of these more veteran offensive linemen. And I just remember thinking, if, if this guy can harness this and, you know, if, the, if this coaching staff can teach him some technique, the guy's got the strength to, to, to control the line of scrimmage. And we saw him do that. But he also showed good penetration in terms of, you know, good, good quickness off the ball and a couple of plays where he was clearly the first guy off the snap. So he probably was, was uh, one of the more improved guys from what we saw last year. And, you know, hopefully he continues to, to head in that direction. So some he good, some bad. Like I said, the, with the ones today too. I saw. Yeah, uh, Connor Hughes did tackles. tweet out. Yeah, Connor Hughes did tweet out that he was playing mm-hmm. exclusively with the ones. So and like you know Fadakasi a lot. What's that? Elijah McGuire, somebody that has been a little quiet this whole camp. And mm-hmm. if anybody, you know, a lot of people talking about Montgomery and and Cannon you know, going, taking his little swing passes up the sideline and beating guys to the corner like he's always done, you know, for the last two years with his speed. And it's interesting how McGuire was the one that looked like the better running back in, in under the lights than Cannon. Uh, so kind of something interesting to see how that that battle for that last running back spot is it's still a thing. Um, you know, now it seems like McGuire got a little bit ahead of, of Cannon. So now let's see what Trenton can do. Um, this Thursday when Atlanta comes around. Yeah, and I, I like both players, but I, I've said all along that I and you know I could be wrong, but I, I just I think Adam Gase likes McGuire a lot. And yeah, McGuire did. McGuire looks like a more natural player at the position. You know, the thing is, does McGuire's value as a kick returner, which let's face it, kick returners essentially getting phased out, it's almost become obsolete. Um, does McGuire's value as a kick returner trump Cannon's value? as a special teams ace, as a, you know, covering punts. You know, we saw him last week on at least one tackle where the, you know, he basically timed the play. It was a great punt from Lack Edwards to a good hang time. But Cannon gets there just as the ball's caught and basically stops the the, the return man for, for no gain. And I think that might carry more value than Eli McGuire and what he can bring on specials. But I just, I just feel like Eli, Eli McGuire is the better running back. So it's going to be an interesting, you know, development to see which which they prioritize because you have Le'Veon Bell who's going to be your workhorse. You've got Ty Montgomery who can take some of the carries. So and you know and of course Bilal Powell who and, and that's really who I feel like Eli McGuire is competing with is Bilal Powell because they're so similar, um, even with even with Trenton Cannon being what he is. But yeah, some good, some bad. Like I said, corners were terrible. Davis Webb terrible. Ja'Kai Polite didn't show a lot, honestly. He was out there quite a bit, and I don't, I don't remember seeing him do anything that that kind of lined up with what we'd been hearing in the days prior, where he was getting, you know, he'd moved up from working with the threes and fours 
to working with the twos because he was getting multiple penetrations. He was, you know, getting quote unquote sacks and moving up the depth chart and then game time. And, and Ja'Kai Polite was really quiet. Um, and one guy I didn't mention, cause I did, I did a quick article on this after the, or a couple of days after the game, just kind of saying, all right, I rewatched it. Here's the guys who stood out. Here's the guys who didn't. Um, but Terrell Basham, I thought had himself some, some really quality reps. And we've mentioned him as a guy who had a, a yep. strong finish to last season. And you kind of wait to see if these guys pick up where they left off. And that's exactly what Terrell Basham did. So, you know, a little bit to take away, you know, again, not, not too much. Cause you're talking limited reps. You're talking vanilla scheme. You're talking guys, you know, who are going up against other backups. So you're not getting to see those, those, those starter reps. And listen, we've all watched this game long enough to know that some guys, for whatever reason, you know, they, uh, I, I remember hearing, I think it was, I, I could be wrong. It may have been Rex Ryan. It, it was a, a former Jets coach. And, you know, this is an earth shattering, but it, it's something that it, I think fans, fans think that the, the evaluation process, evaluating a player, um, fans think it's just uh, you, you, something you do. Like, like when you get into these arguments with people about how to build a team and they say, well, just draft the number one corner. We'll just draft the left tackle. We'll just draft this guy. As if it's that simple. Um, evaluating their play in college and then in camp. And I think it was Rex who said that, you know, sometimes you get these guys out here and, and you can't, like, they literally, they do every single thing right that you tell them to do. And they look fantastic. And you think you have a player. And then the season starts and the lights come on. And the guy just is a different guy. Looks nothing like it. And by week two, he's cut. You know, and I'm paraphrasing because this is a comment that uh, this may be something that, that now that I'm thinking about it, it wasn't a, it wasn't something publicly. It was it was something I was told that a, a former coach that I believe was Rex um, from an insider who, you know, because we were talking about player evaluation. And they basically said, like, and we see it all the time. We see these guys who come in, and whether it's training camp practices, whether it's preseason games, they look like they're going to be damn good players. And not only are they not damn good, they're not even good enough to be in the league. And, you know, we saw it with Jalen Marshall, who's a guy, honestly, for my money, I think he's good enough to be in the league. Um, not, I don't think he's, I'm not saying he's, you know, a great player, but he's still young and he's still like 22, 23. But Jalen Marshall. You know, that, that year out of Ohio State undrafted, that guy caught everything that came his way. And, he, you know, he, he, was, he was running deep routes. He was running intermediate routes. He was in the slot. He was on the outside. He was doing everything. And, we, you know, we're hearing about how he went to Ohio State as a quarterback, and he had this, this great, you know, intimate knowledge of, 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 the, of how, to read his, how to read the defenders and know what his quarterback wanted to do because of his experience. And – a year later, he's out of the NFL. So th- this stuff happens. But all we can do is sit back, watch what these guys do in live action. And uh, and so speaking of that, Alex, what 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 was the most recent practice you attended? Um, or the, the which how many uh, you've attended a couple since our last show? So what have your thoughts mm-hmm. been that, based on what you've seen out there at uh, One Jets Drive? Yeah, so I was at Sunday's practice and. Uh, probably the sloppiest practice that I've seen thus far. Uh, there was some offsides penalties, um, uh, defensive guys jumping. So a little bit of discipline uh, needed uh, at this point. Uh, 
a lot of rotating has been going on, uh, seeing guys getting more opportunities in different areas, maybe because of some of these guys that are banged up. Uh, Ryan Griffin's been getting mixed around, and uh, he still seems to be working his way through the depth chart. Uh, I know that the, the Jets seem to, as, as you can see, they brought in Truesdale back, so they clearly are trying to find um, a, another running mate. Um, possibly to go with Trayvon Wesco for the first month. So it's interesting to see where they're at. Um, I haven't seen much of Eric Tomlinson at all this whole camp. And as of Sunday, he was working with the first string. Um, actually, the the one interception where Tremaine Johnson had, had tweaked his hamstring, uh, they were uh, he was going out. It looks like he may have ran the wrong route. Uh, maybe he was supposed to do, um, you know, sit in a hook or a curl zone area, and he looked like he was going more toward the flat, toward the sideline, and Sam sailed the ball right to Tremaine Johnson. Uh, so it looks like there was a bit of a miscommunication there. But it was the, – the throw was forced by a Frankie Luvu pressure. Uh, and, you know, like I said, he, he's been getting mixed in with uh, different base packages with the first string. So everyone's getting different looks, which is very interesting. Uh, I try to keep an eye on Kyron Brown, uh, but I'm really not overly impressed at this point in time, to be honest with you. Uh, but we've talked enough about the corners. Uh, who else kind of stood out to me? Uh, Deontay Burnett had a great, great day Sunday. Um this guy's really, really doing everything possible to, to, to crack this top five wide receiver group. Uh, you know, somebody was putting him in at the number four, uh, which is kind of interesting. I still see him as a five or a possible six, only because it seems like he is better suited for a slot receiver role. And let's be honest, in the event that something happens to Crowder, I think the next best guy to play in the slot would be Quincy Anunwa. And then you'd be looking at uh, Josh Bellamy, you know, playing outside with Robbie as the X and the Y. So I still feel that Josh Bellamy um, is the number four in this mix. Um, and then again, you, you also have Ty Montgomery that you can kind of throw in the mix there too. But I really felt that uh, Deontay Burnett just constantly is just busting his hump out there and, and, and finding open areas of the field. Now, after seeing the Giants and, and, and looking at this team, we know that the secondary is kind of weak at this point. So it's not surprising that these guys are making plays. I, I've kind of got a different perspective after seeing them play against another team and, and then watching them, uh, you know, firsthand at camp. So uh, I, I do like uh, what's been going on, obviously, with Greg Dortch. Um, he just continues to to just kind of weave through traffic and, and just kind of catch and run and, and he's shaking defenders and doing things too. So uh, no surprise there. Um, defensively, uh, you know, Nate Shepard has uh, actually been, been quite a force. Uh, the last couple of days, he's been really, really chippy. Um, he got into a scrap um, on Sunday with Ben Braden. It's kind of interesting because, it looked like he was drawing off at Bilal Powell, and I have no idea why, because Bilal is just such a nice guy, such a humble guy. You, you don't seem like he's the type of guy that would trash talk, but it looks like they had an exchange going, and Ben Braden kind of kind of stood over, and, and then, you know, the hands flew, and somebody shoved, and 
friend Braden kind of got in front, like, you know, protecting his guy and Nate wasn't having it. And then again, today we hear that he was mixing it up with uh, our new guard, Alex Lewis. So, so Nate Shepard seems to uh, have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder and rightly so. I mean, this is a guy that was highly talked about last year as a third round pick, a kind of a sleeper, you know, a lot of scouts really liked his, uh, you know, the measurables and the the physical traits. And if you could get this guy in the right system and coach him up, he could really be a force in the interior defensive tackle. And now it kind of seems like all the talk is about the Williams, uh, Williams and Williams brothers. And, you know, you got McClendon in there and you got Henry Anderson, who's got a big contract and kind of seems like he's just the forgotten about guy and, and it's just kind of interesting to see how he's kind of increasing uh, his level of play. And, you know, hopefully these guys don't hurt each other, but definitely interesting to see how Nate Shepard is uh, moving up and, and trying to make a case to, to get more reps. Um, now, uh, Trevor Simeon um, actually was, was has been quite impressive. Uh, he did have a, a, an interception pick six that went to James Burgess, but, from what I've seen from him is just he stands tall in the pocket. He goes through his progressions. He doesn't have the, the best arm or he doesn't have the, a, a quick release. Uh, but he does seem to have that, that savviness of, of getting the ball out where it needs to be and putting it where a guy can make a play. So it was very interesting uh, to see, you know, how he's developed over the last couple of weeks. And clearly we don't want to see this guy playing on Sunday, but, if anything will ever happen, I do feel that we should feel a little more comfortable uh, knowing that, you know, a guy like Simeon uh, has the right mind and, and skill set to, to, you know, get you by, you know, a series or a quarter or possible game. So I thought that was quite interesting to see his development. Um, and Marcus May, uh, I don't think we've mentioned him at all. Marcus May uh, was in pads for the first time in a long time. And he, he warmed up. He participated in seven on seven, uh, no live hitting uh, th- that I saw. And, uh, you know, he was working as, through the walkthroughs with the, the first string, but not involved in the 11 on 11 scrimmage. So he wasn't taking on any hits. Uh, Gase and everybody's being real smart about this. I think they understand the value of Marcus May with this defense because, you know, I've been a little skeptical about having Rontez Miles out there and, I always, in my mind, I had Doug Middleton ahead of him, and it seems that Greg Williams likes 45 better than 36. And uh, one of the plays you saw where Kyron Brown let up a slant and the guy made a move and, and took the corner uh, pursuit angle and, and beat Doug Middleton for a very long touchdown. So I guess you can kind of see why, um, you know, the difference between Todd Bowles and Casey Rogers and, and the difference with Greg Williams and how, uh, where he feels that his guys belong and, and his style of defense. And you could tell, you could see it, that when Greg Williams dials up the pressure, if you don't get home to the quarterback, there's the the risk of having a big play. And I, I think that that's something that Venetia talked about last week is that they have to be careful with what they do because you're going to see a lot of, of big 20, 30, 40-yard plays if everybody doesn't hit their assignments. So it was interesting to to have uh, you know this experiment with with Rontez Miles and and hopefully Marcus May 
will be able to to be there for us week one because this defense just will not be the same without him, I feel. And when you have, you know, a single high safety that's 18 to 20 yards deep, uh, that that's a lot of ground to cover. And if you're going to be dialing up blitzes with six, seven guys in the box, you need somebody like a center fielder that can play sideline to sideline like May can. So I was happy to see Marcus May back there. Um, Leonard Williams was not uh, active. Neither was Avery Williamson. But some good news, uh, Avery Williamson was a participant today in practice, and Leonard Williams, for the first time, uh, was not getting involved in any hitting, but he did have his pads on. He did work out, warmed up, and he, he was back to doing the football things, let's say, because I have not seen him um, in the last couple practices because he's currently going through a little hip irritation is, is how they, they phrased it. So good to see that Leonard Williams is starting to make some – uh, steps to come back with his squad. Um, let's see if I missed anybody here as far as injuries are concerned. Uh, that's about all I got. Um, any questions? Anybody that I did mention that you're curious about, Glenn? Uh, well, I, just a couple thoughts. One, uh, Nathan Shepard, he, he's another guy that I, I should have mentioned uh, in talking about guys who impressed against the Giants because he had, I saw at least two, maybe three plays where he got really good quick penetration and and got an arm got an arm on a running back didn't didn't get the tackle because the back was able to bounce off because he was he was still trying to defeat a block while he was in the backfield but he he was able to to wrap the back up the back spun away then gave up a couple more yards of ground trying to get away and got you know on one play he got tackled in the backfield by Jordan Jenkins um, so better play from from Shepard than we'd see than we saw last year. And let's face it, given his age and the fact he's a second-year guy, he's going to have to make some plays if he's going to stick on this roster, especially given the depth on the D-line and some and the way that some of the other younger D-linemen are playing. But uh, good call on him. You know, if he's if he's playing with an attitude, he really should be because he's probably uh, one of the first guys on the chopping block if he doesn't make some, you know, if he doesn't find a way to impress this brass early on. So oh, we have a new kicker too. I forgot about that. <laughs> well, that that um, I was going to say. You mentioned Marcus May, and my next two uh, that was going to be my next topic was to say uh, Marcus May is back, and of course Chandler Cotanzaro had a terrible preseason, uh, has had a terrible camp, and had a you know missed an extra point in the, the game against the Giants. The Jets were talking about bringing in another, bringing in another body, and while they were thinking about who to bring in. Catanzaro announces his retirement. So, of course, the Jets go out and they add a kicker, Taylor Bertolet, former Texas A&M product who was in camp with them last year. Uh, I'd be surprised if they don't bring in another one. I mean, okay, I can appreciate the fact you brought somebody in. I mean, or that you were looking to bring somebody in even before Catanzaro retired. But when Catanzaro retires, to me, Taylor Bertolet has done nothing in the NFL. Like, you're not going to bring somebody in to compete with him and push him. I know I've tweeted yeah. a few people have tweeted out, um, you know, good old Ross Martin, uh, the, you know, uh, a guy that not just me, but a lot of people who saw him a couple of years ago against Catanzaro um, and they felt like he won that job. He was the better kicker. Uh, his kickoffs were a little bit short. And that's apparently the only reason that uh, the Jets didn't hang on to him. And they, they went with Catanzaro because he can boom it into the end zone. But, you know, Martin was, was money that camp. He was the better kicker uh, on field goals, and he's 
kept himself in shape. He's active on Twitter and, uh, you know, tweeting out videos of himself kicking. And he's still waiting for a job. But either way, Taylor Bertolet is the guy they brought back. I don't know if or when they're going to bring another guy in. I really hope they do. But my, great point on I, – I meant, I meant to bring that up. I was going to bring that one up tonight, the, the Rontez Miles thing. And, you know, no, nobody likes Rontez Miles more than I do. I, I've said a million times I wish every guy on the roster played with, with his passion because that dude just is always fired up. You know, mm-hmm. one of those guys earned everything he's, he's gotten, undrafted, guy nearly had to have his leg amputated in camp a few years ago with Rex. Um, so incredible story. But I don't like him as a deep center fielder. I just don't. As much as I like the guy, I know that there was talk when the Jets brought Greg Williams in that he likes to play his safety, you know, his deep safety about about 45 yards off the line of scrimmage. So maybe he feels like he can put anybody back there as long as they can get an angle. You're not you're not going to get behind them, but I still don't like it. I would still rather, uh, you know, I agree with you 100. percent I would rather see Doug Middleton back there, and you know, in in place of Rontez Miles. But uh, that's clearly not what Greg Williams has in mind at this point. Adam Gase commented the other day saying he's been pleasantly surprised by uh, by Miles' ability to to get back there and make plays, but. Uh, He's just, you know, all we've ever seen from him in past coverage is that he's a bit of a liability. And I don't know if the Jets don't feel that way or if if this current, you know, coaching staff doesn't feel that way. But I really thought that, you know, once once May was out, that we were going to see Middleton. And, you know, because of him, because of his injuries, um, my my pick actually is the guy I thought would would uh, would leapfrog the other guys on the on the depth throat was Brandon Bryant, the second year guy out of Mississippi State. He had a strong finish to the preseason last year, and he was—he's uh, really been quiet this camp. We haven't heard much about him, but yes, new kicker and um, Rontez Miles getting run at safety, or you know, at the number one spot. But now, of course, with May back, it's going to be interesting to see if if they still play that uh, twenty twenty-five yards off the ball, which is what it seems to be. When I looked at some of the Browns clips. Uh, from last year when the Jets brought Greg Williams in. But uh, we're going to go to the phones real quick. We have a caller calling in from a 973 area code. Caller, you're on the air. How do you do, sir? This is uh, Lou from across the river in Jersey. How you doing, Lou? Well, judging from Thursday night's game, I could be better. Gotcha, gotcha. What did you want to yeah. talk about specifically? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, Darnold's now is his second year, and I know it's only preseason. But when you when you think about, it, I mean, I mean, Jones just you know, I just like outmaneuvered him pretty much. I mean, it's, I know it's only the first game of the preseason, and it doesn't matter much. But is this going to be another you know disappointing year for Darnold if this keeps up? Well, well, uh, I mean, no, sorry, go ahead. Because, you know, it seemed like Jones just outmaneuvered him. I mean, Jones was perfect in his first outing, and, you know, Darnold, you know, wasn't. He made a few made a few mistakes there, just like last year he made a lot of mistakes. He, he went five for six? He made a lot of mistakes? Five for eight. And and he made how, – how many how many drives did he play? Only about eight, but still, I mean, you know, Jones – you know, just seen to just seen to have uh, out outplayed him, and he's the rookie. 
Yeah, well, well uh, I do think he went up against the second string too. So a little bit of a little bit of leeway there for Jones. Uh, I, I thought the kid looked very efficient. Um, as you said, he he had a perfect uh, five for five or six for six, whatever that drive was. Right. But I think that's more of a testament to you know younger guys getting an opportunity that they haven't had. Um, you know, Kyron Brown being a UDFA rookie and Derek Jones was buried for all 16 games and got his first opportunity in late December against Tom Brady of all the people. Uh, so I do think that, you know, that had a little bit something to do with it. I think they, the offensive coordinator gave uh, Daniel Jones a very, very uh, smart game plan and, 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 you know, kind of a very vanilla uh, passing calls that were just easy throws for him, except for that touchdown. Um, that was probably his most impressive throw, but, yeah, I wouldn't look too, too deep into it. Um, and as far as, you know, Darnold uh, making a poor decision, if you go back and you look at that first throw, uh, it kind of looks like what he thought he saw was was more of a, a man-to-man rather than zone coverage. And uh-huh. he thought that Quincy had him beat, and it just looked like Jabril Peppers was was uh, doing a little flat coverage there and – you know, yes, he could have he could have picked that, and it could have been a pick six. It could have been a, a lot worse than than what it was. But you know, Sam's resilient, and and he came back, and he had a had a few strikes right after that. So I I understand your your concern. You know, um, Sam's still working through a lot of different things here, but uh, you know, he he's resilient, and he's the type of kid that won't won't hang his he- his head on on a throw like that. He he won't well, dwell on it. Well, the long time fan does concern me. Oh, yeah, I, I wouldn't. I, 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 I wouldn't. I wouldn't worry about a, you know, a guy who throws one incomplete pass in the, uh, the preseason opener. You know, um, it's 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 a non-issue to me. And I think that, you know, as, as Alex said, and I, I Dan Leberfeld of uh, Jets Confidential tweeted out after the game. You know, the the, the the Jets were playing basically a second-string defense. Even Daniel Jones' touchdown yeah. pass came against a, a rookie undrafted safety who's actually a box safety, not a coverage guy. So I wouldn't take anything away from that. And, I mean, as somebody said, go back and watch Christian Hackenberg's first drive as a Jet in the uh. preseason. He looked, he looked like <laughs> Daniel Jones. So I would, I, would, I would say Daniel Jones is more likely to be closer to Christian Hackenberg than he is Sam Darnold. Um, and Darnold's the, uh, Darnold's the future here, and I wouldn't let any preseason hiccups, you know, kind of change that. But uh, any other questions for us? Yeah, but Hag- and where's Hagenberg now? Uh-huh. Back in groceries. All right, so thanks for that call. Uh, so yeah, Alex, are, are you are you uh, ready to are you ready to pull the plug on Sam Darnold after throwing an incomplete pass in the preseason? Uh, I, I don't know if I'm, if I'm is ready it, to is, go. Is it time? Is it time to go back to the drawing board? Here we the Jets fans. 100. We thought we had our guy. We thought we had our franchise quarterback. What did he do? He comes out and he throws an incomplete pass. I mean, I mean, if that's not panic button time, I don't know what is. I really don't. Um, I think well, I think the Jets. Outside of Webb, the efficiency by our quarterbacks was was pretty phenomenal. If you if you look at the stat lines, four for five for Darnold with a touchdown, mm-hmm. thirteen for sixteen for Simeon with a touchdown, and nine for eleven for Luke Falk with a touchdown. The only guy that that didn't look like he was a football player was Davis Webb, who went two for seven and two interceptions. So uh, I don't know about that. 
Yeah, but, you know, if you're going to look at it fairly, they all threw incomplete passes, Alex. So, you know, it's, <laughs> they got to they gotta clear that quarterback room out, and, uh, and it's back to the drawing board. Same old Jets. That's what you got to love uh, the perspective, you know, where we see promise, other people see uh, something different. I think that may have been a Giants fan, if I'm being honest. Uh, you know, call up and say, are, are you worried about Sam Darnold throwing an incomplete pass? And boy, didn't Daniel Jones look awesome. It's like, uh, he, he, what he said, Darnold went five for eight. Darnold was four for five with a touchdown. Like, and it, I think that was a Giants fan having a little bit of fun. Um, and that's fine. I don't, I don't mind. It, was, it kind of made me, I'm sitting here laughing like this. I'm trying to figure out, is this guy, is this guy serious right now? Um, but anyway, th- thanks for the call. Call him again next week and uh, talk about whatever incomplete pass uh, Darnold throws this week against Atlanta. Um, but, you know, look, Atlanta coming up, preseason game week two. Uh, Adam Gase was asked today about how much Le'Veon Bell may or may not play. What do you think there, Alex? Do you think uh, mm. if you're the Jets, do you play Le'Veon Bell? I I don't know. I think he's going to be dangling um, Le'Veon Bell in front of everybody, just kind of like the carrot on the stick. Uh, you know, can you get it, you know? Um Personally, I'm not like the people here that think that Le'Veon Bell forgot how to play football and, and he's incapable. Like he's not going to be able to, uh, you know, endure getting hit by somebody. I'm not concerned. I don't have the same concerns as, as most people here. I'm completely fine if Le'Veon Bell does not touch the ball once throughout this process. Uh, if you want yeah, to give him an offensive series, you know, let him block somebody, maybe catch a, a pass out in the flat, maybe you know, carry over the middle, you know, give him three or four touches and then pull him out. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that too. But uh, yeah, I know what I think it's a, capable of doing. I think it's a weird thing. Not weird, but I kind of understand the, the anxiety. Fans look at it and say, you know, for the amount of money we're paying this guy, and, you know, like even if you're the coach, the GM, if you're looking at it saying this guy is arguably the best running back in the NFL, we paid him all this money. He's the guy who's going to mm. help transform and make this a dynamic offense. If we send him out there for one stupid carry and he hurts himself, you're just going to be looking at, oh, you're going to yeah. be looking at each other. You're going to be looking at each other in the meetings the next morning being like, did, did we really have to put him out there for a carry? And it, it, look, it can happen. Pitchforks outside of one Jets drive. He, he, look, he can get hurt on the first carry of the regular season. You know, he can get hurt any time. But something about it yep. being meaningless games and not wanting to lose, you know, the any of the, the sort of handful of players that, that could transform uh, your your team, your 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 franchise. You know, you, you don't want to lose anybody, obviously, in the preseason. But this is the guy who's going to help make Sam Darnold's life a whole lot easier um, in a lot of different ways. So I say just sit the guy. You know, give him some, give him some live touches in practice, and and go from there. I don't need to see him rolling around on the turf grabbing a knee against you know the Falcons or anybody any other preseason game. That uh, it's it, it's not worth it. And I think I think Adam Gase wants to sit him. I don't think Adam Gase wants to play him. Um, not non-Jets related, Alex. But I we have to talk about this because talk about well we we can say it's Jet related in the sense that. This is a guy some people wanted the Jets to get. What the hell is going on with Antonio Brown? What? What? Oh. The, I don't care. I don't care if this isn't a, a this is a Jet show. 
I, I don't care what podcast you. If you have a no, podcast, this is just content because there if was you're a, doing a podcast a group of about people that wanted this crazy lunatic on our team, dude. If if you're doing a, a podcast about shoelaces, you should be talking about Antonio Brown today. Like, what the hell is going on? This guy apparently boycotting the team because he wants to wear his great grandfather's helmet. Uh, and the NFL won't let him do it, and he wants to do it with blisters that he got on his feet in an Austin Powers cryogenic chamber in which he wore the wrong shoes. What the, I mean, if this like this is the thing, if, if he had been a Jet, Jets fans would be like, oh, this only happens to the Jets. This didn't happen. This is happening to the Raiders. They paid a receiver oh, yeah. a trillion dollars, and he's got blisters on his feet. And he's mad because he can't wear his 1920s helmet. What the hell is going on, Alex? You know, I, I think not Not only did his feet get frostbitten, I think a part of his brain might have, too. <laughs> Your brain um, freeze. I, I, Jeez. <laughs> I just don't understand what, what's going on. I, I should have had indications with the bleached mustache and the Lego-style haircut <laughs> he had. And you, you know, all the signs were there. I guess we just didn't really want to see them. And 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 we thought he he turned a leaf when when he first got signed and you saw the the NFL Network video of him going to Derek Carr's house and it surprising yep, yep, him there and it, yep. it looked like he changed it and it was like okay this guy's not a lunatic he just was hungry for you know being on a new team he wanted out of Pittsburgh but here we are today and you know this guy obviously holds himself in in, in a regard where where human beings like ourselves do not belong because everybody else is complying with the new rules. And, and apparently these helmets are designed to protect, you know, the, their brain so that these guys could don't you, end up. With could you DVD. imagine if you're, if you're John Gruden or Mike Mayock, can you imagine what they must be saying in meetings behind closed doors, how worried they must be that what, what they gave up salary wise to get this guy signed. These do 15 million this year. These are and, two competent guys that probably looked at this and said, "We'll get it figured out. We'll we'll be able to figure out a way to control him. No problem. We can handle this." And now, <laughs> you know, they they look like they bit off more than they could chew. That's the thing, and you know, you look back historically. You know, Gruden, he he had he had to send Keyshawn Johnson home early when he was with the Bucks because Keyshawn was such a distraction, and Gruden couldn't get that under control. And as much of a diva as Keyshawn was, I mean, A. B. Put, puts them to shame and it, oh my i was hearing these stories and i was like it was one of those is, is this real life moments you're like is this really going on because you hear about the feet one day and i'm you know i'm i'm sitting there God, and i'm like too. am i that hearing picture, this right did i hear this guy just went to a, a freezing chamber and didn't wear the right shoes and now he has blisters on his feet and then like 10 minutes later i hear that he's threatening to retire because he can't wear a, 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 a an outdated helmet and I'm just going. This is the stuff. This is this is definitely the stuff that Jets fans feel like. This only happens to the Jets, and uh, whether it's the Raiders or whoever, it's like, oh, it's 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 nice to see other te- You know, the Jets the Jets get their quarterback knocked out in the locker room by a teammate. You know what I mean? It's not like this team doesn't have crazy stuff happen. But my goodness. Anyway, that that's enough about a non-Jets story. But I just I had to ask you about that. I had to get your opinion. Because it's one of the most bizarre stories I've ever seen as a fan, and uh, and listen, 
if it all gets sorted out and AB goes for 10 catches for 140 and a touchdown in week one, no one's going to give a damn. Uh, but if this becomes a lingering thing and he's, he, you know, he's like sneaking the helmet into practice after agreeing not to wear it, he shows up sneaking okay. it in the next day. Just, just absolute craziness. But uh, I hope he takes anyway. his train to Looney Town and, and we don't have to see him. That's all I'm hoping for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hadn't even thought about that, of course. Oakland is on the schedule. Um, yep. that, that's actually a game I might be flying out for. So uh, we shall see. I got to get out there at some point this season for a couple games and uh, might be doing Oakland and Cincinnati. But uh, we'll see about that. So uh, I think I think for us, Alex, I think we've covered everything we said we wanted to cover. We covered Jets Giants. We covered players who stood out. We covered the injuries, the new kicker, Marcus May. One question for you. Go right ahead, Alex. So what do you think they're going to do as far as the first string? Because, um, you know, as we know, the third preseason game is usually the one where they play the first half, and sometimes they warm up and they come out in the second half and they'll do a series, but sometimes they just warm up and then the second string starts so that they just get familiar of preparing yourself to go through that halftime and everything like that. How many plays do you, would you anticipate that Gase will uh, let the first string do this week? Well, I, I think week three tends to be the, the you know, going at the half, come out, play a series or two, and then get pulled. Uh, it tends to be like sort of, you know, a quarter and a bit in week two. I think maybe we'll see some extra reps for a guy like Chris Herndon because they know he's going to have four weeks off once the season starts. So you may see some extra reps for him. And there's not a lot of, you know, battles, per se, for any starting jobs. Most of them are set. I think maybe, maybe some extra reps for Tom Compton because of Brian Winter's shoulder being a question now. Um, oh, we don't know how serious that, that is. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, we, uh, yeah, we hadn't. Um, but there's maybe too many Compton, injuries right now to cover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe Compton gets some extra reps at right guard just to get him comfortable in case he ends up starting. And the story of the day, man, is going to be a corner. It's it's going to – they need somebody to step up. Um, I think any corners – I mean, I think really there'll probably be a heavy rotation of corners to give everybody as many reps as possible um, to see if somebody can emerge as, as, a, as a guy who can stick and make some plays. And let's face it, man, these a lot of these guys, it's not that often they, they, they have this many guys that we know so little about. You know, I mentioned Alex Brown earlier. He's a guy, he's a rookie that they picked up. He was let go by the Niners after getting picked up by them as an undrafted free agent. You know, really fast guy, a little bit undersized. Um, good. Uh, well, I was reading about him earlier. 30, yeah, 33 inch arms. So he's got good arm length. So he's, uh, he's, he's a, one of many guys who's going to get a chance to show if he can play or not. And, that's going to be a big story. But in terms of how much, how long the starters go, I would imagine most of them go a quarter. Um, and then maybe a couple of them go, you know, the first half, or like I said, maybe, maybe Compton and Herndon see some extra reps um, with their situations. But, but do you have any thoughts on that? Do you, are you just kind of, you know, caught... yeah, I, I hope that they get the first quarter in because, you know, I'd really like to see a little bit more of, you know how they how they go up against you know a, a better team. I, I hate to you know we did lose to the Giants and everything like that, but I think Atlanta's a better uh, football team at this point in time. Uh, so I'd like to see them compete against a, a different style team. You know they've they've got some really really tough defenders in Atlanta. 
you know, Tack McKinley, uh, Grady Jarrett at the middle. Uh, they've got some other good linebackers um, in, in the interior side. So it'll be a different, different feel. Um, so I'd like, I'm looking forward to maybe doing a quarter, the first quarter of, uh, of the game and, and just seeing, you know, what, how we can dial up this offense and, and, and clearly um, how we will do uh, at the, the secondary level too. Um, I'm not sure we probably will not be seeing any bit of Julio Jones. Um, he's just, he's too good and he's already working through some sort of lower leg injury or an ailment. So I don't think he'll be hitting the field, but I'd, I'd like to see how they handle themselves against Muhammad Sanu and, and Calvin Ridley if he, if he gets the go as well. So uh, hopefully the, we do a, a whole quarter and uh, we'll see what Greg Williams has in store and, and how he draws up the defense. And actually um, one of the more surprising things um, I was going to, you know, I, I'd seen that he had signed this off season. Wasn't sure if he was going to get any playing time. A uh, couple former jets to, to talk about very quickly. See Devin Smith had himself a decent day for the Cowboys uh, the other day. Um, most people probably didn't even realize he was still in the league, but uh, he had, I want to say he had like six catches for 56 yards or something like that. And then uh, it was only one play and I only saw it because he retweeted it or somebody I follow, I guess, retweeted it. Darren Lee with a, a goal line tackle. Unlike, I, I, I would say that, unlike, yeah. unlike any tackle we ever saw him make with the jets. I mean, literally, head-to-head with the running back, you know, uh, just uh, as they say, just mano a mano at the goal line, and Darren Lee with the stuff, which is, I mean, like I said, we didn't we didn't see a whole lot of that here with the Jets. So uh, those were a couple guys who, who sort of popped up on the radar this week. And Devin Smith's an interesting one, man. I mean, he was a, a pick that was sort of universally praised. And, you know, that, that this is what happens. You know, guys pick players and everybody – jumps up and down. What a great pick. What a great pick. What a great pick. And then the guy sucks and everyone's like, Oh, how, how do we pick him? He, he was so obviously a bad pick. What the hell were they thinking? Um, but Devin Smith. Yeah. Oh no, I'm sorry. He had three, he had six targets. I thought he had six catches, but he had three catches for 54. So, uh, not a bad average made a couple plays and, uh, see how he does. And, uh, no, no other, no other former jets that I saw anyway, this week that, uh, that jumped out or showed up on the, on the Twitter feed or in, uh, any highlight reels. But I think that'll, uh, that'll wrap it up for us this week. Alex, you will, uh, you're going to get spun up on, uh, on how to run the show. Uh, not a whole lot to it. You'll pr- probably be doing the show. I wouldn't say completely solo. As I said, I'm going to try to call in. The reason we're doing Monday night tonight is because I am off to London tomorrow and then France the following day. Um, so I wouldn't have been able to do the show after tonight, but I will be trying Very to call nice. into the show. I will be trying to call into the show from France, and uh, and you know because there's there's going to be actual football to talk about, and uh, and then once I'm back from vacation, man, it's uh, I'm back a few days before the opener, so exciting times coming. Jets Falcons this uh, this Thursday, hopefully some uh, some more young guys emerge, and hopefully hopefully Sam Darnold gets back on track after throwing that incompletion last week. No, <laughs> he's got a lot of work to do. We exactly. Alex, there. <laughs> Alex, thank you so much. And uh, look forward to uh, to calling in and joining you next week. Uh, you can go ahead and uh, give out your Twitter handle and we will call it a show. 
right on. Joe Douglas, we trust you. We believe in you. We know you can figure this out. And Joe Douglas, we trust, Jet Nation. Uh, you can follow me at NYJetsLife24. Absolutely. Joe Douglas, go get a corner. Have a great night, Jets fans. We will catch you next week. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23, and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets.